Mic on. And now I present. Mic off. Greetings. Welcome to the Winter Camp meeting for Monday, February the 21st, 2021, the evening session. This will be about 1 hour 10 minutes long. I hope you enjoy the following presentation and may you be blessed and inspired. Mic on. Presentation will begin in a few seconds. Stand by. Hello, everybody. We want to welcome you to the 2021 Winter Camp Meeting for the Blind and Physically Challenged. Welcome to the evening meeting. Due to COVID-19, Camp Asabo has been closed down. So we are having a virtual camp meeting at the Holly Seventh-day Adventist Church. To try to maintain social distancing, we are, have a panel of six people at eight foot tables with each person at each end to maintain the, the six foot distance. Then we, when we are doing our exercises, we have a seven-foot canes that uh, can reach from one person to another, so we have that six-foot while we're exercising. And right now, this is our schedule for this evening. We just had the welcome and the announcements, and we'll have the song service at this time. After that, We'll have uh, Keith and Aline Elliott from out west. They're going to be talking to us, tell how God has blessed them in their life. And then after that, we'll have the prayer, the special music, and then the Bible lesson or class presentation, and then the closing prayer. And now we'll have the song service. I know you can't see me over there. <laughs> Our first song tonight is going to be Pass It On. What page? It is page three. It only takes us back. 
job. Let's go ahead and let's sing Give Me Oil in My Lamp, page seven.
Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to 16. Do, Lord. Just When I Need Him Most? That's our theme song. Oh, I love that song. What? I'm sorry, 400. What was it? How many verses is it in the song? Oh, wait. Wait, wait, wait. 412? Oh, covered with his life. Yes. It's time to remember how God has led us in the past. I'm going to 
see if I can make a telephone call and uh, see how this works, see if we can work it. Hello there. How are you? Is Helene with you? Yes, I am. Okay. Now, they're working on getting your picture up there. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear us okay? Can you hear me all right? Hey, Larry. Hello there. How are you? Yeah, we can see you, Larry. You're looking good. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing you can do if that's a true story. Uh, <laughs> well, good. Um, what I wanted you to do was, you know, just tell how God has blessed you, you know, so we can be inspired. We've been inspired so far with all the stories. You know, last night it was just a real blessing having Pat Page with us. And you saw that too, didn't you? Yeah, we were online. We watched... Uh, what a what a blessing that the inspiration that Pat had to get it started and and for you to keep it going. Of course, Peggy helped too, you know. And we're going to talk to Peggy tomorrow, you know, Peggy. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, she's going to tell her part of the story. And so, oh, there you are. Hey, you're looking good. <laughs> Say, I'm wondering about that picture. That is so cute. That's such a cute picture. Are you in a boat somewhere, or what are you doing? We're kayaking. We, we took up the hobby of kayaking since we moved to Arkansas and, and really, really love it. Okay. And you got close in... enough together to get a, a selfie? Is that what that is? Yeah, two different kayaks. Uh, we have tandem bikes, but separate kayaks. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, that is so, about the neatest picture I've seen in a while. It looks yeah, really we live. Uh, thank you for sending that to us. Uh, I wish we could be there with you guys. Well, we wish you were here. There was somebody this morning that uh, texted me and said uh, it was the Leffler family. And they said that, uh, that they watched the worship this morning. Their whole family, all six of them, watched it. Wonderful. And uh, I texted them back, and I said, I wish you were here. And I says, you know, there's a house here in Holly that, uh, that you can do your own cooking because they have special diet. And, you know, they may come. I'm not sure. So we need to pray about that. They, everybody's got so many busy things they're doing nowadays, you yeah. know. They're just busy as can be. But anyway, hopefully they can come for the weekend. And you know, uh, did I tell you that we're going to have a baptism on Friday night? You did. Yeah, we heard that last night. Congratulations. Last night. Yeah. Okay. David. Okay, well, go ahead and tell me your story. I'll try to shut well, up. Uh, well, I just want to greet everybody. We're, we're so good to see some old friends there, Colin and David and Warren, Rodney. And Pastor Fred, he's an old friend. <laughs> an old friend. <laughs> I want to say something too, can I? Yes. 
Well, thanks for the Christmas card. I appreciate it. Oh, you're uh, welcome. You'll always be special to us. Elaine, that's good that you're in your own kayak. It might be a little bit safer that way. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I like the kayak into the... The, the small tributaries get down into the bushes, you know, see what I can see. And Helene likes to stay in open water, so it's good that we have separate kayaks. That's um, just what I was getting at. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we live in a community that has seven lakes and, and uh, a, a river and uh, close to other rivers, and we just enjoy getting out when the weather's nice and paddling and and just seeing nature that way, it's a whole different world. But um, yeah, greetings to everybody. I think uh, yeah, Pastor Fred and I go way back, back when I was a young fella. Uh, <laughs> back in the, and he was young too, by the way. <laughs> We're about the same age, but but I I started uh, going to blind camps. 1984 at Indian Creek Camp, and, and pa Pastor Fred was just a few years after that. We got acquainted and, and uh, have, have a wonderful um, friendship because of uh, our time at blind camp. I don't know how many blind camps I've been to because when I became the director of the National Camps for the Blind, um, I, I would go to several each summer and winter, uh, but over the course of about 35 years. And um, when, I, when I first went to camp the, the first year in that 1984, it was my second week of work. I worked a week and then the second week was blind camp. And, and it was just overwhelming to me to be amongst all th these people who are blind, kids and adults and and uh, I was just, I was a little bit uh, anxious about it because I was afraid I might say or do something wrong. Uh, but but uh, soon learned that that uh, my blind friends are just so accepting and, and loving, and, and it's just been a blessing to continue friendships even 35 years, 40 years later. I thought when I was at camp, that I was there to help the blind see Jesus, but they helped me to see Jesus. Amen. Uh, speaking about blind camps in Michigan, I just love going to Michigan because that's my home. Grew up in a little town called Detroit. And, <laughs> uh, and I, every time I drive back, whether it's on 94 or 75 going into Michigan, I just feel like I'm at home. And so uh, blind camps in Michigan have a special place in my heart. Um, I've had great experiences there, tandem biking in the summer, and uh, trying to keep up with Colin and, and David on their tandems, or trying to pass them was always a challenge. But we had great times together and, and good friendships together. Um, I admire Larry for keeping up what he's doing Amen. and keeping the camp going. Just, just tremendous. What a guy. Amen. Well, I rode with Keith before, and I was a little nervous. 
but we did well. We did a really good speed on the bike, so I think we came in about first place that time. So, <laughs> hey, we're still alive, and uh, thank you for riding with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. You always come in first place. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I try to do. <laughs> well, my first experiences with Blind Cab was when Keith and I were dating, and I went to Indian Creek Camp in Tennessee, and I, too, was uh, feeling a little overwhelmed and nervous about being around people visually impaired because I never had been before. What if I said wrong things? And I did. I said, oh, nice to see you. And then I thought, oh, that was so dumb. But they were so nice. Y'all just, you say, oh, well, nice to see you too. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed my years as a volunteer there, just wandering around, helping where I could and helping with crafts and making friends. Um, but, and then coming to Michigan, I only went to one winter camp in Michigan. And all I remember was that it was cold and there was snow and it was cold. Um, Pat Page, our sweet friend Pat Page, led out with her crew. And like I said, all I remember is that it was cold. Uh, so most of my experience in Michigan has been with those summer camps, with the bike rides, and I have wonderful, wonderful memories, made some wonderful friendships. Uh, always will treasure the friends that we have gotten to know there and I see Rod Richie there and Warren and Dave and Sparky I'm glad to see you guys you will always be a blessing to me I always will treasure you guys in my heart um, Pat said it last night and Keith just said it where camp is planned to be a special blessing for the campers but you campers always turn out to be a special blessing to us, the staff and the volunteers, and you have been for me. Amen. Pastor Fred said last night that some of our visually impaired friends have more vision than some of us sighted people. And I've learned so much from so many of you through the years. I've really been blessed and touched by you. You will always be special to me, always. Hope God will bless you both big time. Hey, Helene. Thank you. Helene, I remember. Tonight you will hear another inspiring message from Pastor Fred. Helene. But I'd like to leave you with a promise from our Lord. Um, these are very disturbing and fearful times that we are facing, and there's a lot that can be, make you fearful. But God tells us many times in his word, fear not, do not be afraid. And in Isaiah 41.10, he tells you, tells us, tells you personally, do not fear anything, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Be assured, I will help you. I will certainly take hold of you with my righteous right hand, a hand of justice, of power, of victory, of salvation. Fear not, y'all, and I love you. Hey, Helene, I remember your cowbell. Yeah, we love you guys. <laughs> Looking forward to Jesus coming again when all eyes will see him. We look forward to that day when we can all be together. Have a great week and a blessed week. 
Well, thank you very much for answering your phone. And, oh, it's a pleasure. Wish we could be Ro there with you guys. And Ro give Rodney was talking to uh, Helene. She didn't hear him, but he said, I remember yes. your cowbell. Yes, the cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> and the water guns on a hot day as you pass by. <laughs> well, thank you for answering the phone, and God bless you, and uh, we'll continue with prayer. Why don't you join us for prayer? Our God Father, bless you guys, too, and, and tell David we'll, we'll, we'll uh, be there well, every night, but especially Friday night. Yes. Okay, he hears you. Well, thank you very much, and... Uh, Elaine, make sure to splash Keith a little bit with the water there for me, okay? I will do an extra splash just for you. Amen. And we can see you guys with our hearts. Jesus has gave us eyes through our hearts, so amen to that. Amen. Amen. Talk to you later then. God bless. All right, God bless, God bless you. you. Bye. 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 Our Heavenly Father, tonight we thank you again for the privilege of knowing Keith and Aline. We ask that thou continue to bless them in their retirement. And we ask that thou bless us now as we continue this program. We ask that thou bless Pastor Fred as he gives us the message. And bless the special music. Amen. Well, it's, I'm going to sing, Give Me Jesus, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory, and it's one of my favorites, because I think um, out of anything in my life, I want Jesus. It is. And who wrote it? This is written by Alma Blackman. And it's a spiritual. Yeah. Yes. Dark me. 
was my cry. Dark midnight was my cry. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You may have all this world. Give me Jesus. Sorry, it's a little bit out of my range, but you know what? The angels are still with me. Well, so good to be here. Amen. And I really, really thank you for that song. Um, that's what we've been talking about. Remember when we talked about Abel, that as he sacrificed that lamb, he was acknowledging that he needed Jesus? All through these stories of these heroes of faith, that's the prayer. Give me Jesus. He's the one we need. So we've, we've moved along. Um, let me see. We looked at... Seth and Enoch, we, looked, we started out with, with Abel, um, Enoch was this morning. The next hero of faith in, in Hebrews 11 is Noah, and it's appropriate that he be the next one. Remember we read Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith Noah, verse 7, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Righteousness by faith, that's the theme we keep looking at. So, we read the story of Noah and discover that uh, he was 500 years old when his sons were born. It's, it's, it's quite possible. Now, that's the oldest of any of the ones in our, in our historical record. It's quite possible that he had some children before that. That's just not in the record. Uh, but that would mean that they were not part of those who were willing to be saved. We'll just assume, even though we really don't know, uh, that these three of his children were the ones who, um, who were his only children. 
but but we don't know that. We just we just leave it at that because that's what we have in the record. Um, we got we've got to recognize Adam had been excuse me Noah had been influenced by his godly ancestors. We think of Adam, but um, he didn't meet Adam. Adam had been dead for 120 years when Noah was born. Remember, Noah's the tenth generation from Adam. Um, we think of Seth. Well, Seth has been gone for 10 years when Noah was born. Enoch, you know, we, we look at these names that we remember. Well, Enoch, well, Enoch was translated 70 years before <laughs> Noah was born. So he didn't get to meet those three heroes of faith that we think of. Methuselah, his daddy, oh yeah, we remember from, from Enoch prophecy, when he dies, the end. Well, Noah was born into that lineage, and uh, I believe Methuselah was very present in Noah's life, not merely in uh, instructing him, but when Noah started building that ark, I believe Methuselah was right beside him. Grandpa, <laughs> Grandpa yeah. And, and saying, son, I know that this is what God has called you to do, and I'm here to help you. I believe Methuselah died just weeks before the flood happened. We'll get into that just a little bit later. And I think Lamech, who lived within five years of the flood, was also there, daddy, helping him. The theme, righteousness by faith, comes through here so strongly. And when we go back to this story in Genesis, we see that things were rough. Genesis 6, it came to pass when men began to multiply. Um, the godly children started marrying worldly wives. Dangerous. I was talking with somebody this week about these, these marriages that include one person who loves the Lord and one person who doesn't. It's a place where the shadows are never lifted. There is a sadness and a, and a darkness in those homes. Uh, these things happened. It says there were um, bad men on the earth in those days. And uh, God saw, verse 5, the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that, and listen to this phrase, every intent, every thought of the hearts of man was only evil continually. Now, that sounds bad, but if you have been aware of what's happening in the world today, I'm afraid we're getting to that same place. So, as we look at these stories of these heroes of faith, look, too, at what's happening in your life and in the lives of those around you, because just as the crisis came in Noah's day, the crisis is coming in our day, the end of all things is upon us. You, you don't get as many um, descriptions of just how wicked it was as you read that Genesis account. But we are given a hint in 2 Timothy 3. I think these are the sins that were afflicting the people in Noah's day. Paul writes to Timothy, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. That's being selfish. 
lovers of money, that's being greedy, boasters, yeah, proud, it's all around us, blasphemers, <laughs> you know I'm a substitute teacher, and I was talking with one of the teachers, and she's got a little boy that's two years old now, and she said to me, I told my husband this week that he's going to have to clean up his language because I don't want my son using the kind of talk that, that he does. <laughs> she could ignore it just out of him, but she does not want to hear dirty language coming from her son, and it will. <laughs> you know, those words that you say with emphasis and that you say continually are the ones that the child is going to say, and I want that child growing up saying, Jesus loves me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Those are the words I want them to be saying, not these other things. Oh, oh, oh. It's what's happening. I, I've heard it, little two-year-olds saying things that they, they didn't know what it meant, but it, it's not cute to my mind. It's not cute. They don't realize how, how bad it is. So blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Oh, oh, oh. How how tragic this society is today. Parents are <laughs> destroying their children even before they're born, but children are disrespecting their parents from a very young age. How many families are the children telling the parents what to do? I want such and such to eat. Parents go and get it. <laughs> I want such and such to wear. It doesn't matter how you can. You can buy a pair of kids' shoes for $200 or more. <laughs> it's not, not, doesn't make any sense. Disobedient to parents, it says. Unthankful. The lack of thankfulness is listed as a wickedness that Paul was saying was going to be afflicting these last days. It is. And I believe it was very true in Noah's day, too. Unholy, unloving unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then the killer, this verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. We read in Genesis 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. All around him was wickedness. Most of the people of the world were sold out to Satan. Oh, many of them had a, uh, an apparent religiosity. They uh, said they were worshipers of the true God, and they kind of pretended this. But the, the reality was they were worshiping Satan but calling him God. It's still happening. It's still true. These are real issues. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6, verse 8. I think that it's in God's blessing that we're not given any more details of, of exactly how bad it was because it's not good for our minds to dwell on wickedness. We touched on that before. God wants us to focus on good and right and to refuse to look at Read stories of, listen to stories of wickedness. So, Genesis 6, God gave, came to um, Noah, and he said in verse 3, 
there will be 120 years. I'm going to give people 120 years. Now, some people had thought that that was saying that he was going to reduce the lifespan of people from being nearly 1,000 years to only 120 years. And we do see some of that coming in within another 10 generations. But um, I believe this was the first statement of God that he was giving a, a test of 120 years. Now, we have another story where God gave people a time limit. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah came to Nineveh after having his sojourn in the, in the belly of the whale. I think he was bleached white when he got to Nineveh. <laughs> the acids in the belly of the whale are not kind to human skin. And I, I think he was a rather dark uh, complexioned man before the, the uh, giant fish took him over for a while. But after he came out of that, I'm sure he was bleached and it would be a very strong statement. This man has been through it. So, uh, Noah came to Nineveh and he said, 40 days and this town is going to be turned upside down. Now, I'm giving you the Hebrew translation of that. We usually translate it saying it's going to be destroyed. And, and it, if you turn the town upside down, it's going to be destroyed. But if it turns upside down spiritually, repenting of their sin, turning to God, then they may not be destroyed physically. Think about that. 120 years God gave to those people in Noah's day. I believe if they had repented, things would have been different, but they did not. Oh, it got bad. It got really bad. God said to Noah that it was going to rain. Verse 13, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you shall make it and gives the exact dimensions. I think he was given a, virtually a blueprint of how to build this ark. And he followed God's instructions. Hallelujah. When God tells you what to do, just do it. I know. We said that this morning. It's still true. That's what Noah did. When God said do, he said, tell me how. I'm on my way. I believe that the wood that he used was extremely hard. We have some very hard woods today, and, and woodworkers like myself like to try and determine what's the hardest wood. Well, it depends. <laughs> there, there's a number of hard woods, but it depends. And if you really want a, a, a piece of hard wood, get it where it's in a knot. There's where it gets really, really dense. But um, I don't think we have woods as hard today as what Noah used to build the ark. And uh, we do have some very hard woods. But I believe that him working that, those timbers to make that ark was very much like people working stone today. And I've seen people working stone, and you've seen some very polished statues made out of marble. Uh, it can be done very effectively and with intricate detail. Noah was told what to do, and he did it. I'm sure he had to use a lot of help. His uh, daddy and granddaddy, I'm sure, helped him. And once the boys were old enough, he was 20 years into this project when Japheth was born. Two years later, 
came along Shem. Two years after that came along Ham. And those boys, as they grew up, Daddy, what's going on? We're building an ark because the Lord's destroying the earth. And the boys said, well, tell me how to help. I want to be safe when the Lord destroys the earth. They believed their daddy's story. And they built that ark. It cost Noah everything he had to build that ark. Let that sink into your mind and dwell on that a bit. How much are you willing to give for the glory of God? God really (laughs) doesn't demand anything, but he invites us to trust him with everything. Anything that we hang on to selfishly saying, well, God, I'm not ready to give this to you, becomes a snare that can keep us from serving him wholly. Noah gave it all. Everything he had was invested in building that boat. And it was built up on dry land, out in a field, on the side of a hill, a long ways from water. Why build it near the water? The water's going to come to me. I like Larry's statement about beds. You have to go to bed because the bed won't come to you. Well, you would think you have to build the boat in the water because the water won't come to you. It did. It did. (laughs) What a statement as he was building that. And he told the people about rain, and they said, Ha-ha, it's never rain. What do you mean rain? Water from the sky? The water doesn't come from the sky. The water, the the plants get uh, watered by the dew that comes up in the evening and waters the earth. There's no such thing as rain. You're just all cracked in the head. They ridiculed him as if he was a fanatic. An interesting part of the story, and we're not given any details, but not only were the men saved, but also their wives. Much of the story tells the story of of men. We have a few stories, enough for us to know the wives were important and they were there, but in this story we are specifically told that Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives... Eight souls went into that ark. Where did those boys find godly wives? By the grace of God, they did. And <laughs> we, we look at the races of the world today, and we see three major categories. There's the um, oriental races. I, I had to be careful. <laughs> Sparky gave me a name for them (laughs) this morning that I had been much more limited with, and I don't want to use those names because they can be pejorative. But um, the Oriental race is one, and I believe they were descended from Japheth. Then there's the Caucasian race, which I learned just just last summer when I was doing uh, census work. Even the word Caucasian um, can be a racial slur. Things get crazy in this world that we live in. And then there's the black-skinned race, descendants of, of Ham. But these three were brothers. I believe much of those racial characteristics probably came from their wives. We get half from each side. They found godly wives. 
women who were willing to believe God and trust and get on that boat that did not look safe. It did not look inviting. I mean, once those animals came in there, it started to sink right away. Have you ever been in a barn? <laughs> well, that's what this is. It's a barn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, elephant manure does not come in small packages. <laughs> I mean, it was messy. But um, you would have thought that the people of Noah's day when they saw the miracles, would have said, maybe he's on to something. And they would have responded differently than they did. <sighs> they didn't. First miracle. Methuselah died on time. He was 969 years old, the oldest of anyone who had yet lived. And then just weeks before the flood, and Noah had said it's going to come at this time, because he was told the 120 years, so he knew. And so just weeks before that time, sure enough, Methuselah dies. Lamech had died five years before, but Methuselah dies. You would have thought that when he dies, the end would have been heard by these people as the end must be close, but it was not much attention given. Second miracle. A week or so before the ark went afloat, animals started coming to the ark. People saw them coming from the woods, and they were marching in orderly manner, as if there were angels leading them by halters. And they came in, in such distinctive groups that it was a, it had to be a God thing. Anybody seeing it would have said, Something supernatural is happening. I don't know how those sciences of that day explained it off. Look at these miracles. The unclean animals came two by two. The elephants, the giraffes, the lions, two by two. The clean animals came by sevens. The sheep, the goats, the cows, the um, antelope, <laughs> the moose, the deer. They came by sevens. Now, there, there's some details here that were not given, and I'm really not sure. I've heard preachers say one way or say the other way. It doesn't really matter whether that meant seven individuals or seven pairs. It really doesn't matter, but uh, they came by sevens. Those who were watching them come should have recognized these could be used in godly sacrifices, those cannot be used in godly sacrifices. This is a God thing. And notice something else. It's not said very much here, but there's hints of it. And you just say, oh, I believe that there was gene splicing. There was amalgamation that people were doing interbreed experiments with animals. None of those hybrids or amalgamations came in the group. That should have been something to them, too, that they said, well, all these animals are the created kinds. They're not the human-manufactured, fancy, messed-up kinds. And we're doing this again. We're mixing the tigers with the lions. And, yeah, it, it can get messy. That 
whole cluster of miracles is my number two on my list. And then there was a third miracle that happened. The door was supernaturally shut. Noah, according to the blueprint God had given him, built a big door on the side of the ark that I, be, I think became the ramp for the animals to come walking up into the ark. And he knew, I can't close that door. Now, I'm sure they could have figured out levers from the outside to, to pick it up and get it closed, but no one didn't want to be on the outside. He wanted to be on the inside, and he was. God told him to go inside, and God sent an angel. I believe the light of glory came down and shone as that angel picked up that door and closed it. That's some pretty careful measuring for that to fit tight. This has got to be watertight, folk. God can do some supernatural to make sure, or Noah and his family could have been very precise in their measuring, and I kind of wonder if they had already planned some draw pegs so that once that door was closed, they put these pegs in on the inside that, that seal it so that it's, it's tight closed. You would have thought the people seeing this door be closed would say, God's doing a thing. I should be inside. I'm sure there were ladders all around. They could have leaned a ladder up against the side, climbed up and said, can I come in the window? And Noah would have welcomed them. Anybody who was willing to believe the word of God would have been rescued in the ark. You see what that says for us today? Anyone who's willing to believe the word of God is safe for glory. I believe there were religious leaders who claimed to serve the true God who chose to declare Noah to be a fanatic and explained away all these miracles. I believe that they said, oh, God is too good to destroy those that he created. Why, how would he ever be so cruel as to destroy those people that he has created? He'll let us get by. He'll, he'll, he'll let us get on because he loves us. Well, yes, God loves us. Of course God loves us, but he won't put up with stuff. He cannot ignore sin, blasphemy, rejection. It's going to come to an end. That's proven in the Genesis story, and it will come to again. It'll come to us in the Revelation story. So, 2 Peter 3. Verses 3 to 7. Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, I know we're, we're combining the stories of the flood with the stories of the second coming, and they're combined in this verse. They were saying, they'll be saying today, where is the promise of his coming? Since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. People today preaching evolution are saying, we can know the history of this world by reading the rocks in this place. They ignore the story of the flood, and they make a major mistake on the history of this world by ignoring the flood. Where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning. This, verse 5, they willfully forget. That does not say they are ignorant. 
that says that they choose not to believe. Evolutionists have a very strong faith in something. It's not God. It's in their own thinking power, and their thinking power is flawed. They willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. That's pointing exactly at the flood, that people today are ignoring the flood. And, of course, verse 7, we need to add this one. The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God washed the water with, God washed the world with water the first time. He's going to cleanse it by fire the second time. That's what it says. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. I remember my mother telling me that when I was a boy. It's still true. Uh, Conversion is a miraculous process. It's a process. Many of us here have known David with, for, for years. He was 12 years old when he first came, came to blind camp. So I'm not picking on David. I love him, and he loves me, and I know we do. Um, and, and his story is, is precious, and he told me more aspects of his story that I hadn't understood. But um, God loves and as we open ourselves to him, and blind camp was a significant part of, of David's journey coming to God, as we open ourselves to him, he will change our hearts so that thing, things we once loved, alcohol and drugs, we now hate. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> David almost died more than once because of his foolishness with alcohol and drugs. He told me that story, and I'm just, oh, praise God that you survived this. And, and with a mind reasonably intact, what a God we serve. And then as David began to make choices for God, God has led him in more and more choices to serve him with godly fear. And that's why he says, I'm ready for baptism this week. Hallelujah. God does that to us. But it's a miraculous process every step of the way. God pours his love out on us. And he invites us to return his love. He never forces anyone. <sighs> Conditions were not pleasant inside the ark, but they were deadly outside the ark. When the ark had been closed for a week, it sat there closed for a week, and the people inside were saying, we're trusting God. We're trusting God. They had their morning and evening worships. They said, we're trusting God. They fed the animals every day. <laughs> Folks, it takes a week to get used to the routine of how you're going to take care of these animals. It was the grace of God that gave them this week to figure out who's going to feed whom when before everything started to get stirred with the, with the waters coming up. After a week, the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down. You remember that song? And the floods came up. Ah, oh, Yeah. The people on the outside said, oh, I should have gone inside the ark. Folks, there's a time, there's a day of salvation, but then there's a day of probation closing. When the door shut on that ark, probation closed for those people. They had turned from God and no longer were they able to respond to the Spirit of God. I'm sure people tried to get into the ark. 
let me see if I can climb the side of the ark and crawl in the window. They could not climb the side of the ark. The waves washed them off. The ark brushed against rocks and knocked them off. They couldn't climb the side. They couldn't cling to the ark. They couldn't hold on. Some of them, I'm sure, put screws in it to try and, and hold on, but they were not able to. There were large animals that came to the people looking for help, as animals would. Even wild animals can come to people for help. You listen to those stories. <laughs> Lions and wolves and bears have all come to people and asked for help, and people have helped them. Whether they're in traps, whether they have, have uh, wounds in their sides, people have helped them. Dangerous animals. That they <laughs> It's clear this animal needs help. And plenty of stories on how that <laughs> can serve the person well in time. These animals came expecting help from the people. And people really couldn't do much, but I believe some people would take their children and tie them on the backs of a horse or an elephant, saying that, well, the, these large animals will struggle to the safe place on the tops of the mountains. There was no safe place on the tops of the mountains. The waters covered the world for 40 feet deep. There was no safe place. Every, everything died. Only by the grace of God did anybody live through. I believe that that ark would have been smashed by the waters of the flood, except that God had a protecting hand about it, that he put his binding around the ark so that the, the um, timbers of that ark did not come apart in the violence of the storm. Jumping to the exiting of the ark we find this very significant thing. A precious part of the story, it's in uh, Genesis chapter 9. Noah, the, the flood has receded. It only really was violent for about five months. And then everything was quiet and the earth is drying out and God's settling things, raising some mountains and lowering some seas. <laughs> The seas are deeper than the mountains are high. Interesting thing about this earth. Our scientists have looked this over and said, well, there's a place in the ocean that's seven miles deep. And Mount Everest is only, what, three miles high? Plenty <laughs> high enough. Air gets rare up there. But um, God made a place to store the water so that we're not covered with water. We hear those who are concerned about climate change, and they're giving us dire warnings that the waters are raising, and within a few years, many of our coastal cities will no longer be habitable. I believe that the second coming is going to come before that crisis occurs, but these are real issues. There's really a lot of water on this earth. God settled things. He took some time. He settled things. I believe that he may have even done this movement of continents that the scientists think they're so smart to, to figure out that the Americas and Europe and Africa once were together and now they've separated. I believe that all happened with the flood. I believe the Grand Canyon was cut by the flood, that there was once a big lake in the interior of the United States and it out through the Grand Canyon and cut a half a mile deep cut through that. Powerful stuff, water is. Time came for Noah to get out of the ark. And God opened the door. God had closed the door. God opened the door. 
And the first thing that Noah did when he got out of the ark was to build an altar and offer sacrifice. He's been a year in the ark, not able to do sacrificing, and now he offers sacrifice. He builds an altar and offers sacrifice. Remember, he did not have much. There were only seven of any of the clean animals for him to use for sacrifice. It was from his scarcity that he gave to God. There's a lesson in that for us. Many people try to say, well, I don't have much so that I can't give God much. <laughs> Remember the widow that gave her all? Jesus said, this woman understands. She understood that the God who loved her, she could give him her everything and God would make sure that she had what she needed. He still is in the business of supplying the needs of his people. Story after story in Scripture, in history, and in current events, God takes care of his people. He's not lost the recipe for manna. It's, it's been repeated within the last hundred years. He's not lost the recipe. So they exited the ark. Animals, many of them went off wherever they wanted to go. But Noah made a thank offering. God recognizes, respects, and honors our gifts. And then God made a statement to Noah. It came to him somewhat as a promise. He was a prophet and God would speak to him supernaturally. But also as a physical presence, he said, I am setting my bow in the clouds that when it rains, you will know I'm not going to destroy the earth with water again. Now, the, the rainbow has been misused a number of ways. That's the devil's trick. He likes to do that. But the rainbow is a symbol of God's promise. And we read in Revelation that there's a rainbow around the throne of God. It was, oh, over 20 years ago. I knew that there was a moonbow at Cumberland Falls. And we just never were able to see it. And finally, you know, you listen to enough people and we learned when it was supposed to happen. You've got to have a full moon. And so since I was pastoring a church that was on the other side of Cumberland Falls from where I lived, I just made a practice on my way home from prayer meeting to go by Cumberland Falls and just, just walk out there and look. Walk out and look. <laughs> I did it a dozen times. But then it was worth the trip. I walked out there, and that was before they put the fence. They needed to put the fence. It was the right thing. But I was, I mean, I was on the edge. And there was the moonbow, and it circled around. It was, I could see it, uh, not 360, but 270 degrees. It was coming three-fourths of the way around me. And it was as if I was inside the bow, the rainbow, but this was a moonbow. And I, I just felt a God moment that... God is inviting us to come to his throne. Jesus, our high priest, heavenly sanctuary, he invites us to come close to him in that sanctuary, inside that circle of God's rainbow, trusting in God with everything. That rainbow, whenever you see a rainbow, and rainbows are so fun. Sometimes there's one, sometimes it's a double, sometimes, very rarely, but once in a while you'll see a triple rainbow in the sky. The colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, it just there. What a God, a God of might and miracles, 
miraculous color. He wraps his arms of love around us with that rainbow. Gracious Lord, as we contemplate your love and this story of Noah and the flood, we realize that we're facing a flood of wickedness too. And you have provided a place of safety, an ark of safety. We thank you that you have invite us, uh, invited us into your presence to be safe with you. We give you the praise and the glory now and forever in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You're very welcome. What a wonderful day. Every presentation has brought us closer to Jesus. I want to thank you for all tuning in tonight, all for coming, and have a good night. See you at 7 o'clock in the morning. Mike on. Well, this completes it. Bye bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs>